0: God, can we lift up our hands right now? Can we just set our affections upon things above? Father, I love you. Thank you for bringing us here together tonight. Thank you for your grace that brought us here one more time. I'm thankful, Father, for my brothers and sisters who decided to come back here tonight to join together, to hear your word. I pray blessings over them. I pray, God, edification would come into their souls that healing would take place through this word tonight but father most of all we give you the glory the praise and the honor because you're the one who's worthy of it in the precious name of jesus thank you jesus i'm so glad to be here back with you again i give honor to all of you we were just here together just a mere three days ago and here you are again and i just love being around hungry people because you could have done anything you wanted to do nobody drug you here you came here by your own free will, and I'm just honored to be with hungry people. Amen. I um, I do feel something. I, I was feeling it when I was standing right here Sunday. And the Holy Ghost began to speak to me and say, "He's going to ask you to come back on Wednesday." It doesn't make me super spiritual. Just just talking to God, listening to Him, and we all have that that privilege. And after service, Brother Nealon asked me. He said, "Would you come back Wednesday?" And I said, "I'm so thankful that." God already gave me permission, because I like to do what he wants me to do. I love Brother Nealon dearly, but I want to do what God wants me to do. And I'm thankful that Brother Nealon knows the mind of God, because it just makes life easier. So I honor you for being a man of God. My wife said about uh, your, your, your pastor on the way home, she said, he's a true pastor, isn't he? I said, yes, he is one of the best I've come into contact with. I go to a lot of places. This is, I think, my 50th service this year. And I, I come across a lot of people, you have a true, true shepherd. You really do. You really, really do. And I'm not just saying that because he's my friend. I, I believe that based off of the Bible, that he is a true shepherd. And I honor him tonight. If you'll stay standing, I'm going to go to Hebrews chapter 7, verse 19 through 27. I am reading from the English Standard Version tonight. Um, and I'm sure you're comfortable with multiple translations. Uh, as a linguist major, you can't help but be okay with other translations because there's no perfect English translation because it's next to impossible to translate Hebrew perfectly into English. And so they all have uh, good good nuances that I enjoy. And so as a, as a Hebrew linguist major, I'm, I'm telling you, it's okay. Amen. It's okay. So I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version because I feel like it really gets to the heart of what the book of Hebrews is really saying. And I'm going to verse 19 and I'm going to read through 27. It says, for the law made nothing perfect. Ouch. Yeah, right out the gates, huh, author? And you're not just preaching this to anybody, you're preaching this to Hebrews. You're preaching this to Jewish people who stake their entire life on this, who lived this to the nth degree. The law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests, they did it by making such an oath. But this one, however, was made by a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are priests forever talking about jesus so this makes jesus the guarantor of a better covenant the former priests were many in number why why are there so many of them because they were prevented by death when one of them died we had to have a priesthood so we had to have a ton of priests because if one died we got to recycle and we need a priesthood but this one though he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever Death couldn't hold him. So he's priest for eternity. So consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession. That word intercession is he stands between. He's going to never stop doing that. That's his job. That's his passion. He's going to stand right there and he's going to stand. He's going to say, come on, everybody come to me. Come to me. I want you to I want you to be in relationship with the father. There's a lot packed into here and uh with the help of god i'm going to unpack it but i will caution you and i'll I'll give it away with the title this is going to be a paradigm shift for some a challenge for others and i'm comfortable with you full-on rejecting it so long as you go and study it out before you do i'm okay with that and i understand that with a paradigm shift there's always a rejection first and i'm 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 humbly submitting to you that if this bothers you, then the word is doing its job. It bothered them, no doubt. But please lock in with me and don't turn anything off until you've seen the scripture that's presented. And I want to minister tonight a paradigm shift. Okay? Now, I want you to lift up your hands and I want you to humble yourself right now. God, I will submit myself to everything your word says. I don't care what that preacher, who he is, what he does. But Father, if he preaches your word, I will do it. So God, I'm submitted to you. I will do by the best of my ability to minister your word and your word only, not my opinion, but only your scripture. I believe firmly that what it has done for me, it will do for this wonderful group of people. It will bring them peace. It will bring them into a deeper relationship with you, God. I believe that. And so I want to preach it to them. And I want them to sit with it, God. That's what I want. I want them to be a Berean tonight, to sit with your word, to analyze it, and then to live it so that they can be as close to you as they have allowance to be. I give you glory in the name of Jesus. Everyone say amen. Amen. You may be seated. Now, a paradigm is simply, it's a pattern. It is a framework. An example of a paradigm is gravity. Gravity sets the framework that when something goes up, then it must come back down. That is a paradigm. You and I are comfortable with that. We know that. We submit to that. It is a gravitational law. And depending on how much or how little gravity there is, that is the determining factor of that paradigm. A scientist can work within the paradigm of gravity by weighing an object. For example, here on this earth, submitting to earth's paradigm of gravity, I weigh 185 pounds. That is the reality that is upon me, By submitting myself to the paradigm of the gravitational pull that is on our planet. But if you take me and put me on the planet Mars, I weigh 71 pounds. It is not because I have lost 115 or 114 pounds. It is simply because I am in a different paradigm. I am within the atmosphere Of a planet that has a different paradigm than the one I'm living on tonight. If you take me and put me on the moon, I will be weightless. Nothing within me has changed. You have put me into a different atmosphere. And now I live within the the parameters or the framework of that atmosphere's paradigm. So um, I'll give you one more example because this will be the whole foundation that I build this mission upon is the the paradigm. So another paradigm example would be uh, Ptolemy's geocentric model of the universe. Ptolemy said that the earth was at the center of the universe and every planet revolved around it. That was what mankind assumed was reality. However, Ptolemy's paradigm shifted because a man came along whose name was Copernicus And his theory, which stated was the sun is at the center of the universe and all planets revolve around it. He had this theory in the year 1515. However, he did not publish this theory until 1543 because he was afraid of the rejection that would come by introducing a different paradigm that everyone held so passionately. It was actually religious Priests believed that the earth was at the center. And so him being a good Catholic boy, if I present something different than the priesthood, I will be excommunicated from the church I love so much. And so a paradigm shift comes with great peril. But the reality is that truth, in spite of what everybody else says, is what we submit to. The truth was that the sun is at the center of the universe. doesn't matter what your theory is. doesn't matter what the Catholic priest said. The reality is, and the truth that we must align with, is that the paradigm that is a reality is that a paradigm had to be shifted if you believe the earth is at the center of the universe. So this paradigm shifted, and it gave a foundation for future astronomers... To build a better model. And because of that we were able to land on the moon and explore new places. But if you stay submitted to a false paradigm. You don't get to explore new places. New understanding was gained. By the subtle and humble disregard. Not disregard but allowance and freedom to explore a paradigm that is based on truth. And so I'll use this seesaw up here. Now, we are each born leaning, all of us, to one side of this seesaw. Now, for me in my context, this this is my paradigm, Brother Nealon. This is where I live. My paradigm is right here on the right side of this seesaw. I was raised in a very, very conservative home. My father is a, is a pastor. He's very conservative. And so... Therefore, in my atmosphere, the world that I live in, I weigh this much. This is my home. This is my paradigm. Okay. In this paradigm where A.J. Holloway lives, I view God who lives here, by the way, right here in between the two. I view him through the lens of my paradigm, which is the more conservative I am the more the guy in the middle will love me because I'm viewing him through my paradigm. Now, before you think that that's special, people are born over here, which is we have freedom. We can do whatever we want to. This is a paradigm. And so we view the one in the middle through this paradigm. God wouldn't demand that of me is what they may say these are paradigms and what you and i have to submit to is what is true what is true the thing about this example is jesus doesn't live on either side so what you and i are striving for every day when we, we we pray to him and we're we're discerning him and trying to find out what he's like and the best way to do that by the way is through his word Is we're trying to find our way and creeping away from our paradigm to the middle. Now with that is discomfort. (laughs) What is this going to work out for me? And what we're striving for is somewhere here. But what's going to happen is we're always going to fall back to one side until we start learning how. To be like Him, and so we're we're trying to, and this is a life journey. Give yourself some permission that, that when you when you're introduced to something, your gut reaction is to retreat back to your paradigm. That is that is that is normal. I've done this as I'm reading the Bible. I see things, and I'm like, that that just can't be. And when I get uncomfortable, I retreat back to my paradigm, which for me is over here. So in in the A.J. Holloway paradigm is if, if something is good, then more of it's better. But that's just not true. And I know that not by opinion. I know that based off of word. What is true? So... If that be the the virtue that we're all aspiring for, if something's good, then more of it must be better, then why aren't you putting jet fuel in your car? If 87 octane's good, then jet fuel should be better. Put jet fuel in your car and see what'll happen to your engine. More of something doesn't equal better. What is made for me so to understand the full weight of what the author of hebrews is saying then we need to take a journey through the paradigm of life that the right side of the seesaw lived on judaism lived over here this is this is the jewish home and it was very comfortable we live right here a good jew understood the law passionate about the law living the law to a detriment so to understand that full weight, we need to take a journey through this paradigm. For a Jew, sin. Let's just look at the word sin. Sin is not a religious word at all. It simply means to fail or to miss a goal. To prove that to you, pull it for me, Judges 20, verse 16. It says, Judges 20, verse 16, it said, Among all these were 700 chosen men who were left-handed. Every one of them could sling a stone at a hair and not... That word out there is chata. It's the same word for sin later in the Bible. It just means they were so proficient with a slingshot, they could sling it and never miss. Sin in English. Did you know the word sin in English is actually an archery term? No, we don't know that because church has pressed it into a paradigm. The word sin in English has nothing to do with moral conduct. It was an archery term. And it meant what it meant. Sin meant you're aiming at a target and you miss it, you sinned. You missed what you were aiming at. And so, look, one more, Proverbs nineteen two, just to kind of prove this. Desire without knowledge is not good. And whoever makes haste with his feet sins in his way. He misses. He, he misses or she misses. When the Bible talks about sin, it's saying that someone missed a goal. So what is our goal? Deuteronomy 6, 4. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. If you love him, you're going to love his image. Leviticus 19, you're really going to love his image. By the way, did you know? do you know where the word holy comes from? The, the, the theology of holy? It's in Leviticus 19. Be therefore holy as the Lord your God also is holy. Next verse, love your neighbor. Holiness is loving your neighbor. And to prove that, that's in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 as well. When Jesus says... Love your neighbor. And then he ends it with, so be therefore perfect as your father in heaven also is perfect. He literally quotes Leviticus 19. When Jesus is preaching holiness, he's telling his congregation, go love each other and you'll be holy. Shifting their paradigm. So if you missed this goal, loving God, loving people, you have biblically transgressed. So the word transgress in Hebrew is Pesha. It's sometimes in your Bible, uh, depending on the translation, it'll be the English word rebellion. In older translations, it's the word trespass. But in Hebrew, it, it is Pesha. It means the betrayal of a relationship. This is interesting. There's an Old Testament law that says if while a person is away and someone comes in and steals, then they committed Robbery. But if while you're away, your neighbor comes in and steals, they have transgressed because you should trust. You should be able to trust your neighbor because you're in relationship with them. If a stranger does it, they've committed robbery. But if your neighbor does it, they have transgressed against you because they made a promise to you that they're a good neighbor and they're not going to do that. You can only transgress against somebody that you're in covenant with and in full relationship with. This is why the Bible said when they started bowing down to the, the golden calf at the foot of the mountain while Moses was up there talking to God, the people transgressed. Why? Because they had already told the one they were in relationship with, we'll have no gods before us. And they missed that mark and now they're... In transgression so this leads to iniquity you'll always see in the Bible sin transgression and iniquity wrapped together have you noticed that after the breaking of trust and the one who broke away is now in iniquity it's the Hebrew word Avon it means crooked it means broken or bent we don't see the full beauty of Isaiah's prophecy until we see that because of our breaking away from our lover of our soul The father, our bridegroom, God almighty, we're warped, we're broken, we're iniquitous, we're twisted. And so Isaiah says he loves us so much that he would be bruised. Hear this. He will be mangled and warped in his physical body for our spiritual warped and crooked brokenness. You see the love of God. Who does that? That's insanity. So this is their paradigm. This is how we view the world is through this sin. We want to, we want to love him. We want to love each other. And if we miss that mark, then we're broken. We're not even, we're not even living in our paradigm anymore. We're, we're somehow warped and twisted and we want to repair that. So this introduced a tabernacle. Now, let me help break this down to make this relationship. Right. Is if you break away and you're living in iniquity, you want to get back in relationship, right? I want to get back in right standing with him. So in order to do that, amends need to be made. How do I do that? Before we talk about an altar in the tabernacle, we need to talk about the heart of the tabernacle, which was told to us in Exodus 25, 8 through 9. It's important that we look at the words of God through the Bible. He never said, build me a tabernacle so that you can get this all right because you're eternally warped. This was what he said first. Exodus 25, verse 8. Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. That changes everything. Whoa, wait a minute. You, you want to dwell with me? This was a paradigm shift to a sinner. We broke away. Yeah, I want to get that right so that we can dwell together, though. I want to be with you. I still want to be with you, even though you broke the covenant. I'll be broken for your brokenness. Let me sit with that for a while, God, because I've been living over here in my guilt and shame. And he's over there saying, sit with it and work your way to where I live. This is the paradigm shift that he said, I want to dwell with you that's the God paradigm that's the center of the seesaw. that's that's the gravity he lives in earth's gravity may say 185 pounds Mars gravity may say 71 may say you don't weigh as much as you think you do you can do whatever you want to over here no what a wretch I am I'm so heavy in the middle God says no sit with both sides and come find me in the center both are right but they're not perfect leaning to their sides come to me in the center there's grace and reality you're a sinner but you're not completely cast away Now, God introduces Ten Commandments. This is the law, by the way. And I'm not going to go through them all. Um, We may as well. Let's go through them all. Somebody might not know all of them, and that's okay. This is our commitment. Their goal, their aim is the Ten Commandments. Now, five over here. There's two tablets. On this tablet... These 5 had everything to do with God. Have no other gods before me. Don't make for yourself an idol. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. By the way, that doesn't mean using his name in some defamatory way like cursing. That means if you're going to bear my name, go and act like me out there. Don't do it in vain. If you're going to if you're going to be if I'm going to put my name on you, go act like me. Or, or else you're going to bring a reproach on me. That's what that meant. So don't carry my name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. We talked about that Sunday. Honor your father and mother because they're an exact image of our relationship. So if you honor them, you're honoring the earthly shadow of what this relationship is. So that's the five over here. And over here, there's another five. This has everything to do with your neighbor. That's the Leviticus 19. Be therefore holy. These five help you be holy. How am I holy? Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't covet. Be in good standing with your brother because they're the exact image of the God over here that you're loving. And with these 10, you'll be a good people. A godly people. And so I need to set these parameters for you so that you know what I'm looking for in sons and daughters. But don't make this... Fall in love with the one who gave them to you. So if someone transgressed against these five, Leviticus tells us that they had to give a sin offering. If I broke these five with a relationship with God and I sinned against him, there is the need for a sin offering. And if you read Leviticus, it's a really nerdy book. It's my favorite book in the Bible. There are five offerings, sin offering, guilt offering, peace offering, grain offering, and free will offering. Over here, you sinned against God, give your sin offering. Now, if you sin against your neighbor, you need to give a guilt offering. Okay? These are the offerings to help get it all right. This was their paradigm. Okay, if I go to the altar, everything will be fixed. More altar, more fixed. Let's put some jet fuel in the church. Let's live right here because this is a good thing, so more of it will be better. Let's build a religion Based around an altar. And God was like, no, Exodus 25, build me a tabernacle so that I can dwell with you. I want to be with you, but you want to be with an altar. Because it makes you feel better about your guilt. If I, if I hurt my brother, and see, I can tell when somebody's living in this paradigm. I heard somebody just recently, they said, man, you know, so-and-so is just so weird. They're, just, they're, such, they're an odd duck. God bless them. I really love them. They're a great person. You know what they were, you know what they were doing right there in that moment? They, they started blasting the image of God, and to feel better about it, they retreated to an altar. But if they were living with God and they knew Him, they would have never brought this person up to begin with. They would have never said anything about this person being odd. They would have just kept to themselves. Because to truly love God's image is to not make God's image look bad. So if you're dwelling in the middle... You don't do those things because you're with him. But if you're living at an altar all your life, then I can say what I want bad about somebody. So long as I just throw in, but they're a good person because my little altar made me feel better about doing something I shouldn't have been doing to begin with. I can mess up and then I can go and fix it with a two hour prayer meeting. Your relationship is with the two hours, not the God that was in the prayer meeting. It's, we're a little bit like Martin Luther that when he sinned, he literally took a whip and he would lash himself. We're doing that. We're appeasing our conscience with an altar. And this is how the Jews lived. And Isaiah, they got so bad and this became their religion. God says, your, your altars make me sick. They, they disgust me. You can go read it. Isaiah chapter 1. I would that you would do well is the very next verse. I would that you would look after the widows. That you would feed the immigrants. That you would go and sit with the poor because the way you treat them is how you're really treating me you're not holy but you're altered and this was a paradigm shift so uh, let me let me get let me get you guys if you don't mind I promise I won't embarrass you let me if I can get y'all to you three one two three four five six brother seven if you can come up here I just I want to build you a tabernacle really quick because you, you got to see it okay My brother in the black shirt, you can come over here to me. If you can just stand right here, that'd be great. I want you to come face me. Put your arms, stand like this. Put your arms like a basketball hoop, okay? You, I want you to stand right there, face the congregation. Put your hands up like that. Just give me some spirit fingers. All right, I want you to come stand right here, face him. Put your arms out like that. Okay, I want you to stand right there. That's great. And then I want you to stretch your arms towards her, and I want you to stretch your arms towards him. This was the tabernacle. Okay, so I sinned, I transgressed against God, I am now living in iniquity, I want to get it right. And so God said, I want you to take, uh, it, it was the year of atonement, this was one time a year. The priest would come, and the priest would take a, a, um, a goat. And all the sins of all the people, all the missing, was transferred to that goat. And he said, okay, think of this as the year of atonement, it, or the... the The Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, that was the big reset button. You push the reset button, everything's fixed. Everything's finished, okay? So this is what they're doing. They're pushing the big reset button. And so to do that, we've all blown it because we're humans. And so all of our missing needs to go on to a substitute. That was the goat. It was called a scapegoat. All of that went on to him, and they would, the, the priest would put his hand on the head of that goat, and all of the sins would transfer to him, and they would say, Well, where does this belong? Where does sin belong? Let's send it out into the wilderness. And read it in, in Exodus. It says that they sent it, or Leviticus rather, they sent it to Azazel, which was a demon. Because who should have sin? The demons in the wilderness. That doesn't belong here. Why? Because this is holy space. This is where God dwells. That doesn't belong here. So let's send sin where it belongs, out in the wilderness to the devil. So the scapegoat goes, takes all the sin. He says, okay, well, God's God's got wrath because he's true. Not because he's mean, but because he's true. He cannot tolerate wrong because he's right. Doesn't make him dislike us. It's just the reality. So he's going to come down with wrath because of sin, because he's right and he doesn't deal with wrong. So we need something to take the wrath of God. This is in your Bible. If you're not comfortable with the word wrath, it's in your Bible. So they took the goat and they said, okay, he'll be appeased by the blood. And so the priest took this, this, this other uh, goat, killed it at the altar. Now, did they just meander about and just spend time and say, God, I'm, I'm going to kill lamb after lamb after lamb so you'll love me more? No, they moved on. They moved on. Do you know what this was called? We're born facing this way. And the word repent literally means turn around. And so we turned around and said, okay, I don't want to live in the wilderness. That's where the sin went. I want to go back there where God is. So I need to turn from the wilderness where sin lives And I want to turn to that God over there because he's, man, he's really loving. He rescued me from Pharaoh and the Egyptians. Of course, I want to go be with him. So they would turn, they would repent. And so he would kill the the goat. He would wash himself with the laver of water. And then he would go in and this is is the outer court. They would go to another dimension of their relationship. They're getting closer to the father. And they would come in here and this is the inner court. And they would have the table of showbread. This is where they would eat bread that the, the priesthood made and they would get to eat in the presence of God. It's like having a big dinner. This was symbolic of Sabbath. We talked about on Sunday. The light was in this place and they could see where they were going because God so graciously provided a light pointing the way to the Holy of Holies. And then they would offer worship unto God. God, you are you are great and you are you're above all. You're so much better than the wilderness. We don't want to live there. And then they would go here and they would take the blood of that goat and they'd sprinkle it onto a it was called a mercy seat. Why? Because the wrath of God was coming down looking for the sinner, and what it did is it came down and it found the blood instead. And the wrath of God was satisfied. And he says, tell the people their sins are forgotten. It's all moved on. The problem with this model, this paradigm, is every year they had to do this all over again. They had to repeat it. And they can only be with God on that one day every year. And only the high priest. The people could only watch. They didn't even get to participate. And they would ask, what was it like in his presence? This is a good paradigm, but it is a model of a better one, okay? So keep, stay right here for me. This is the paradigm. So Jesus, God in the flesh comes down, and his passion is still to dwell with us, and this is why he was, John 1:14. it says, and he tabernacled with us. The word dwelt in Greek means he tabernacled. He said, let me go and be the tabernacle for them. Do you know what that says when he tabernacled? What was in the tabernacle? Mercy seat in the presence of God. So in Jesus here on this earth, He said, "Presence of God." That's why He was called Emmanuel, God with us, because His His passion is still Exodus twenty-five. I want to build a tabernacle so that I can dwell with them. And so Jesus said, "I'm going to put on. I'm going to put on flesh, and I'm going to go dwell with those people." And He's sitting with sinners, and that upset the people living in this paradigm. Do you know why? Because according to this paradigm, this, this heavy right-handed, legalistic paradigm, it said that you weren't allowed to touch the dead. And Jesus is out there raising up dead people. This paradigm said no foreigners can be near the presence of God. And Jesus is having a conversation with a Samaritan at a well and tells her that he's living water and you can drink from here. Then it says that you can't touch a leper according to the Levitical law. And in this paradigm, nobody gets this but perfect people. And what we found in the whole Old Testament, there's no perfect people. So we need a perfect one to come to give us access to that place so we can all get there. So God with us is trying to shift their paradigm and call us back to the center when he institutes his prayer in Matthew 6. Watch this very closely. Now, Matthew 5 and 6 and 7 if you're paying a close attention and you've read Leviticus, which nobody likes to do, let's face it, he's quoting verbatim Leviticus over and over and over and over again. He's quoting the Ten Commandments. He says, you have heard not to commit adultery. That's, that's your paradigm. But I have said, you can't even look because that's, that's my daughter. And men, you don't get to look at a woman. Now, I know you want to live your altar and you want to talk about how holy you are because you don't, you don't watch pornography and look at women, but that's not the heart of why you're doing it. You, You got it wrong. You're living an altar life when you need to live a Jesus centric life. The Jesus centric life says I've sat with him and that's God's daughter. And I don't want to reduce God's daughter down to an image to fulfill my lustful desires. That's, that's what you find in the middle. And so he says, you have heard, not to commit adultery, but I've said, don't even look. You have heard, not to murder, but I've said, you can't even be mad at your brother. In fact, I'm going to push that envelope a little further. You can't even call him dumb because you're making the image look bad. And so they look at him and they said, oh God, this is is way harder. You're a lot more conservative than I thought. This is really hard. Teach us how to pray. Why? Why prayer? See, for you, prayer is asking God for stuff. That's supplication. Prayer is different. Prayer is coming into alignment with what God wants. That's the Hebrew word teshuva. God, what do you want? Jesus had supplication. Is it possible that this cup can pass for me? I'm going to ask you, but I'm also going to pray and say, nevertheless, if you want me to die, I'll do it. Prayer is wrestling. That's what it means. It means to wrestle with your will versus His. And so they're wrestling with their will. He's shifting their paradigm in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And they say, teach us how to pray. We want to wrestle with this. We want to come into alignment with it. And listen to how Jesus tells them how to pray. He says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues. This paradigm. At the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. That's what you get for your paradigm. You're you're looked at as... As, as conservative that's your reward that's all you get that's it that's not fulfilling enough for me okay but when you pray go into your room shut the door and here's the paradigm shift pray to your father wait a minute wait a minute who's our father you see their paradigm was God not father you mean to tell me this whole time what, what the priests have been doing in the in the whole tabernacle To get to God, they were actually getting to the Father. Total paradigm shift. That guy up there is our dad? I didn't know that. Paradigm shift is taking place. Your Father who sees in secret is going to reward you. So when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So then pray like this. Listen to these words. It's this whole model, the tabernacle, Backwards. The old model was go to the altar, get everything right, make yourself make yourself worthy to get to God. Wash yourself because God doesn't want a dirty sinner. Let's wash ourselves, let's do all of this stuff. This is appropriate for a sinner. This is no longer appropriate for a son. All of us as sinners are going to go through this process of repentance. Of baptism of revelation preached word the Holy Ghost but once you've once you've tasted and seen you've repented of your sins you've been baptized in his name you have had revelation of who he is and you're filled with his spirit you don't keep doing this anymore because remember what is what does repentance mean to turn so imagine I'm trying to get to the father oh I messed up let me turn this is counterproductive so what do i do you don't repent as a son here's the paradigm and I, I can feel it man i can feel it bothering you because this goes against everything you've heard you confess you confess so here's what happens when you're walking to daddy as a holy ghost filled son or daughter. Now, if you've never been filled with the Holy Ghost, never been baptized in Jesus' name, we all start here. And this is no respect to person. All of us started the journey right here. But now that we have been with him, we are filled with his presence. We're trying to get as close to him as possible, right? But here's the inevitable. You're going to fall along the way. But notice what I'm doing. I'm falling forward. When I fall, this is why First John 1 says, when you sin, not if, when you sin, you have an advocate." With the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. When I fall, I confess to him and say, God, I was born in this paradigm and I have a a tendency to want to retreat back to an altar to make all of this right again because I think you'll love me more if I pray and fast 40 days. But God, I'm confessing to you that what I really need is you. I am incapable of getting to you unless your spirit helps me. I'm confessing through. And I can't be humble without your spirit. And your spirit is helping me understand that I am insufficient. I'm confessing to you. That's different than repentance. Repentance is, I'm almost there. Oops, messed up. Let me turn. You know what you're doing? You have a relationship with an altar, not God. You have a relationship with a standard This is pivotal if you live this i'm just i'm going to let you know your reward is going to be your paradigm you want your reward to be him but it's a balancing act you got to have both and there's going to be days where you get a revelation and you fall to one side he's going to forgive everything that i ever do no you just picked a new paradigm he's going to forgive it but he still wants to sanctify What is sanctification? He wants you to be like him. He said, I want you to fall in here. When you mess up, don't go back to the altar and don't run off. Come to me. Confess that you need me. So, our Father, he says, here's how you pray as my disciples. Our Father, notice how the prayer starts. It's not starting over there, is it? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our table of showbread. See, you see what's happening? It's going this way now. In the old paradigm, you had to go there to get to him. In the new paradigm, you start with him. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive all those other imagers out there who have sinned against us. And don't lead us out there into the wilderness where the sin lives. The paradigm must shift. Do you know what this means? That when you wake up tomorrow, yes. the father was sitting right there in the corner of your house. He had his legs crossed and he looked at you the whole moment you opened your eyes. And he looked and he said, Good morning, baby. I sat here all night waiting to talk to you. You didn't have to earn me. You didn't have to put on sackcloth and ashes for me. You didn't have to run a marathon for me. You didn't have to fast 40 days for me. If you want to do all that, glory to God, do it. But it's not going to make me love you anymore because that makes me insecure. If I'm trying to make you score a touchdown to love you more, then there's something wrong with me. I'm not looking for jet fuel in the engine. I'm looking for what makes the engine run. And what makes the engine run is being with me. Come and be with me. So you know what this does? This changes my motive. I don't want to run to an altar first thing in the morning and just rehash all of my sins. I want to be with him. Because in him is peace and rest. I, someone who deals with loss and heartbreak, I get no comfort from here. I get no comfort from here. I get all my peace. Everything I need comes from him. And what happens is I find myself... Because I lean, I was born here. I'm gonna, there's days where I fall here, this way. I travel a lot. I see people who fall this way. And since I live over here and somebody falls that way, if I'm not careful, I have a, a, a tendency to judge them because of their paradigm. We're both wrong. The one in the middle is the one who's right. Thank you. Thank you. You can sit down. Even his disciples didn't quite grasp how much the paradigm would shift because they were in love with their paradigm. Jesus would be the high priest. And this, I presented this to somebody. I'm going to be preaching at a, at a church this year who's not of our denominational view, but they've asked me to come and speak to them. And we had a conversation, and they said, I just, I struggle, God being the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. I said, I hear you. I said, but have you considered... That God also said he was the tabernacle. He was the priest and the sacrifice. That's even harder. How can you be all of that? The place where the the priest does the ministry and the place where the the lamb is slain while also being the one doing the ministering and the one being slain. All at the place because he's God. God. And none of us could do it. So he had to come and do it for us. Jesus would be the high priest that would offer the sacrifice for the people and go into the Holy of Holies. He was also the tabernacle that housed the altar, the labor of water, the light, the bread, the Holy of Holies, and the mercy seat. He would be the goat that carried our sins to the grave where sin belonged, dead. He carried it there so we didn't have to go out there and do it. He brought it to the grave so that we don't have to die anymore. And he also was the goat that satisfied the wrath of God. And he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We're supposed to say that. And he stood in our place and said, I'll say it for you so you don't have to. Your destiny is to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he's true and you're a liar. And when you go to him and try to offer him works, he's going to say, I'm true. You're a paradigm. So he stood in our place as an intercessor, a mediator. He stood between. He did all of this so we didn't have to. He did all of the legal requirements and said, it's finished. All of that tabernacle work that you've been doing day after day, it's done. Do you know the weight? Do you understand the liberty that would have lifted off of them? We don't have to do any of that anymore now. He would look at them and say, not as sons. So now we're in alignment to hear the Hebrews doctrine or paradigm more accurately. The author of hebrews is trying to shift some jewish paradigms in his sermon when he makes a statement repeatedly notice what he says repeatedly now hebrews was written in ad 64. this was six years before their temple was destroyed they had an active temple where year after year they were rolling over sins and there was teachings that would say to the christians yeah, Jesus, Jesus came and, and died for us, but you still need to go back to that altar and get all this right. This was, this was called a strange doctrine. This is what it was, a strange doctrine. And so Hebrew, the author is really, we don't I keep saying the author because we don't know who it was. He was smart or she was smart. Some think it was Phoebe. Some think it was Paul. Some think it was Apollos. I don't know. Whoever it was, they were sharp. It's my, one of my favorite New Testament books. So listen to what he says. He's trying to fix this false theology of an altar life. Of constantly trying to beat ourselves into submission and making ourselves better with the hopes of God will accept us. Because a good thing means more of it will be better. Maybe God will love me if I score the touchdown. Maybe God will finally love me if I pray four hours a day. Maybe God will really love me if I score a touchdown. He's nothing more than your insecure daddy trying to live vicariously through you. That's not our father. He's very secure in himself. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest. Holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily. First for his own sins and then for those of the people. Since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. Paradigm's starting to shift. Well, let's just go ahead and push the paradigm some more. Hebrews 9.11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more... Now, this was the lesser. Now, the greater and more perfect tent... This was a tent. Which one was it? The one not made with hands. That is not of this creation. He entered once for all into the holy places. Not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Now imagine you're a Jew and you've lived your whole life of, I got to go to that altar. I got to go to that altar. I reject, humbly reject, when somebody says you need to go back and visit the altar. I look at them and say, no, no, I'm a son. I go and visit him and he tells me what I need to get right." If I have a relationship with that altar and trying to fix myself, I will never be close to him. I'll be close to my discipline. And no flesh will glory in his presence. So he entered once for all into the holy place, not by the means of blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of the heifer sanctify for the purification of flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Yes. Hebrews nine twenty four. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf, nor was it to offer himself repeatedly, As the high priest enters the holy places every year with the blood, not his own, for then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man once to die, and after that comes the judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, he's going to come back. And when he does, he's not going to deal with sin because sin has been taken care of. He's going to deal with the sinner. The person who had access and never participated with it. The saint who never got relationship with him. Those who said, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not perform miracles in your name? Did we not prophesy in your name? He's going to say, you never sat with me. You sat with your paradigm. Those things that you're mentioning made you look good. True holiness done right should have made your neighbor look good. But you were in relationship with a paradigm, not me. You never left your side of the seesaw and balanced yourself out. To those over here, they were mad at those over there. To those over there, they were mad at those over there. That's not me. I'm always positioned in the middle. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Those are ditches. You can live in your ditch. But your reward will be a ditch. Hebrews 10 10 and by that we will have been sanctified through the offering of the blood or the body of Jesus Christ once for all and every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins he sat down at the right hand of God are you hearing a repeating pattern? Here one more time, Hebrews 10, 14. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. That's the people who are, I've been baptized, I've, I've repented of my sin, I've turned, I'm going towards the Father, I have re, I've repented, I have been baptized in his name, I'm filled with the Spirit, and I'm running after him. I'm not perfect, but i got the Spirit of perfection in me that's drawing me closer. Yes. Do you know what the author of Hebrews finally says? He goes, how can you reject so great a salvation? And this is what he says. He said, tie it down tight, lest it drift away. Hebrews is one of my favorite books. It's so profound. He is eat up with the gospel. And he's saying, please, please don't live in your paradigm. Draw nearer to the Father. The Holy Spirit also bears witness for us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts. It's not on stone tablets anymore. I'm going to put it inside of you. I'm not doing away with those Ten Commandments. I still want you to do that. That's still your aim. But I want your motive to be from the heart. Don't, guys, don't just not look at a woman because it's bad. Don't not look at her lustfully because that's the image of God love that person don't just not covenant because it's a list of things to do that's paradigm thinking but jesus thinking is i'm going to be therefore satisfied and content with everything i've got and i'm thankful my brother and sister's blessed pure undefiled holiness makes them look better ladies if you're going to dress modestly don't just do it to check off a list do it because you know my brother might stumble and might lust so i want to help my brother That's a pure motive, but don't just do it to check off the list or because somebody told you to make sure your heart, I had a teacher say this to me, brother, brother Nealon, it changed my life. One of my teachers, Dr. Tim Mackey, he said this, he said, there are three convictions. There is a public conviction. This is the thing you tell everybody you want to do. There is a private conviction. This is the thing you really like to think you do. Then there is a core conviction. That's the thing you actually do. He said, I don't care about your public talk is cheap. He said, I don't want to be invited to your press release, which you think you want to do. I want to know what you're doing. He said, and your, your core, your private, and your, your public all need to come into alignment. If you preach love, don't carry his name in vain. We better do it. And I better analyze everything in my life. And it can't just be a standard, just an altar, a sacrifice. I had a Jewish teacher tell me this. He said, we don't use the word sacrifice. I said, really? What do you use? He said, I prefer the word offering. This is my offering to God. This isn't a sacrifice. This is what I get to give him. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Verse 18, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. You see the paradigm shifting? You're a son. You're a daughter. You don't have to run back to this altar every single time you mess up. And let me tell you how God dropped this bomb on me. I was, I was at home. I was laying in bed. It was around 3 a.m. And my daughter came and woke me up. And she said the words that no parent wants to hear at 3 a.m. from their five-year-old. My daughter looked at me right in the face, brokenhearted. And she, her voice was cracking. She was so embarrassed. She said, Daddy, I threw up. I jumped out of bed. I scooped her up. I told my wife, I said, hey, babe, Eleanor threw up. We ran to her room. My wife changed her bed as a good bride does. And as a good father does, I was washing her face, washing her hair. I kissed her on the cheek. We changed her pajamas. We laid her in bed. And as I was walking back, when my foot hit the threshold of my bedroom, God spoke to me and he said, did you make her clean herself before you went near her? I sat there at 3.20 in the morning. I said, no, God, she, she's only five. She's a little girl. I mean, she, 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 was, she was just sick. She just threw up on herself. She didn't mean to do it. He said, exactly. Because you're a good father. He said, in what world do you think that I would make you clean yourself before I come near you? He said, I'm better than you. He said, you got a glimpse of me through your own parenting. He said, you get to come to me, son. Stop trying to impress me. Stop trying to live in your paradigm and retreat to it and say, if I do more, if I clean myself, maybe he'll love me more. If I I clean my mistakes, and not only clean my mistakes, but clean everybody else's, maybe I'll be more favorable in the eyes of God. That's not the truth. I'm a son. You're a son. My wife's a daughter. You're a daughter. We're all, he shows no partiality to anybody, the Bible says. He looks at all of us in equality and in equity. And he says, come sons, daughters, come to me. And this is what the Hebrew author tells us in Hebrews ten nineteen. He says, therefore brothers, since we have confidence through all of this to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up through the curtain, that is through his flesh, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts our hearts now are the most are the mercy seat let him sprinkle his blood on our mercy our hearts and let him remove from us an evil conscience and our bodies have been washed with pure water let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who is promised is faithful he's going to do it he's going to allow you access he's going to call you in the author tells us How can we deny this? Look how good this is. This is far better than what we've been doing our whole lives. Hear me. Church of De quincey the Father stands over here and he says, Come, come to me. Stop trying to make yourself better. Stop cleaving to cleaving to your 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 disciplines and your all that stuff. Continue to do them. You hear me. I love conviction. I'm one of the most I'm a conviction guy. I on That's that's my paradigm. And God never told me to change my conviction. In fact, when I talk to God, He adds more to me so long as I have the right God motive. But I'm not gonna tell you any of them because I don't want you to live my conviction. You need to go ask the Father because He's calling you to draw near to Him. And you don't have to impress Him to do it. He just opens up His arms and says, come on, baby, just come here. Just come and grab a hold of me. Everyone in this room is Holy Ghost-filled and has access to the same place that the most powerful men of God on the planet, most powerful women of God on the planet ever had. You have that right by the blood of Jesus. He has opened up the way, and He has invited you to come. I'm coming to a close. But look what he says, he begins to transition. Hebrews 10, 38. But my righteous ones, they're gonna live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. If you run back to your paradigm, I I can't find pleasure in that. But we are not of those, the author says, who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. I think it's important that we understand faith though. I really do, I think this is pivotal. Because this goes into one of the most famous, well, most often preached passages in the New Testament, Hebrews 11, the Hall of Faith. For some reason, I don't know how this happened, Brother Nealon, there's a little movie that came out called Santa Claus with Tim Allen. And in that movie, Santa can't get his sleigh to fly unless the people believe. I hope enough, Santa's, it'll give the the sleigh enough energy to fly. Somehow, I don't know how, it's, it's an iniquitous thought, it's a crooked thought, that has told us that I can get a miracle if I believe hard enough. If I do enough, then I'll get this result. Well, see, the problem with that paradigm is that when the miracle don't happen, your only option is, well, I must not have had enough faith. That's not biblical. The word faith in Greek is pistis. It does not mean that. It means continue walking towards him in spite of everything going on around you. Let me give you a whole list of people who did just that. Sarah couldn't have babies. It's in the hall of faith. And God spoke to her and said, you're going to have a baby. And she continued walking even though everything around her said that that reality was not true. And he makes the statement it is the substance of things hoped for yes. let me help you with that passage it's a very very confusing passage i admit put up put up that picture for me and i'm sorry these these scriptures were so light okay this right here is called a crocus flower now i travel all over and i spent a considerable amount of time over the past few years in michigan And every time I go, it is like frigid. There's there's a span of time where it's like single-digit numbers. It is is cold in Michigan. We just don't understand that reality over there. But Something interesting happens, Brother Nealan. Around March, even with all the snow on the ground, the crocus flower shoots through through the ground. And it starts to bloom. It is a sign of spring is coming. And it's 45 degrees outside for us that's that's winter that's the deep deep winter for us in january and it's the funniest thing you will see people coming out of their house wearing short sleeves they're wearing shorts and i'm looking at them and i told i told a guy i said bro it's 45 degrees out here it is frigid he looked at me and he said that crocus flower says spring is coming though and i know it's cold but we're sick of winter we're gonna live in the reality of spring because the crocus flower is the substance of the thing we're hoping for. <laughs> that is a sign that tells us, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what the temperature is. <laughs> Something's speaking to me and telling me something better's out there. And Jesus is our crocus flower because he died and didn't stay dead. And he ascends to heaven on high. And on the way up, he says, in my Father's house are many rooms. If we're not so, I would have told you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. So in spite of our circumstances that are going on around us, we can walk with faith. I'm faithful nothing's going right gas prices going through the roof groceries are, are more than they've ever been nothing's going right but i can look at my crocus flower he's the substance of things hoped for he's the evidence of things i cannot see and so what i'm going to do is i'm going to put on the reality that it's here and i'm not going to adopt my paradigm and put on another joke in a jacket and live in the past I'm not going back to the Old Testament because the reality is I can live right here. This is the reality for you tonight. And I invite you to to adopt this. I invite you the next time, please continue fasting. Don't stop fasting treat your prayer though are you saying I don't have to pray I don't have to fast I don't have to have any convictions not at all Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1 should should I just go ahead and go wild with my freedom God forbid no I want to be I want to be conservative but I want to do it with the right motive if you want to be modest continue to be modest but make sure your motives in alignment with the guy in the middle let's not brag about our freedom to be a stumbling block to one another let us find that middle place where he lives and go to him the point of all of this The author of Hebrews said it, draw near with a true heart, not a paradigm heart. Not if I'm more religious, I'll get him heart. Not if I let everything go, then he'll love me more because I'm not religious heart. Just him. I just want him. I just want him. Can you truly say that with a true heart tonight? As you stand and raise your hands, can you truly say that with a pure heart? God, I just, can you let that be your prayer right now? God, I just want you. And I see now that all my efforts are so futile. I could come up here and I could pray for eight hours and I wouldn't make you love me anymore. You will have been there the moment I made it to the altar and you'll be there eight hours later when I left the altar. But my eight hours didn't earn you. You were there when I walked to the front. Can we pray that right now? This is a paradigm shift for so many. I know that. And I feel so many have grabbed it because the word has spoken it over you. God, my... My excessive praying, my praying is good. It's beautiful. But God, I see now that you're not loving me more because of it. So God, I'm going to do it because I want to I want to pray a lot because I want to be with you. Not because I want you to approve of me, but, but I just want to be with you. If you want to pray eight hours a day, that's beautiful. But you're getting more of God. That's all. That's what you're getting. You're just getting to spend more time with him. So let us pray that right now. This is what the author of Hebrews finally says. He says, guys, if you want to offer sacrifices, if you want to live that lifestyle, here it is. Continue in brotherly love, because this is bro- this is sacrifice. Continue in brotherly love, and offer unto God praise continually, which is the fruit of your lips. If you want to offer, if you want to live that altar life, lift up your voices and begin to praise Him. Thank him for what he did. In fact, I want to admonish you to do that right now. I want you to open up your mouth with your hands raised and I just want you to thank him for all of this. He made a way for us. Can we confess to him, God, I needed that. There's no way I could do that without you. And so, Father, I thank you for opening up the way to me. I had no access to your presence without the priesthood and you came and was my priest. God, I had no access to a tabernacle because it was destroyed, but because of you, you became the tabernacle. Father, I I could not clean myself but you came like a good father and cleaned me you washed my hair you washed my hands and you didn't try to make me better but god you didn't you didn't approve me because i was trying to make myself better but god you called me as a son as a daughter and i love you i thank you for that so god i'm declaring myself to you i'm gonna believe on you i'm gonna represent you i'm gonna tell others about you you're truly 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 a good father come on can we just thank him for that way that he opened up that way that seemed like there was no other way without him
1: Of So it's, it's 8.40 tonight. And we normally get out around 8, 8.05, 8.10. And, and so here's, here's where we live. I'm going to bring the reality of what we heard to where we live. Let's, let's hurry up and get out so we can go home. To do what? What, what are you in such a hurry for? See, so this is, this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play the reality. We run into the prayer room. To give him our list so we can run back out and do what we're supposed to do for the day. And we wonder why we're living in anxiety and we don't have peace and we don't have rest because we have reduced prayer to a list. And we got to hurry up to get in so we can hurry up to get out so we can hurry up to get home to hurry up to do nothing. And what he is wanting is fellowship. And we're wondering, why don't we have peace? Because we're so worried about getting to the next place. We don't abide in him. This morning when I prayed, I I sat in my recliner. And I didn't ask for a thing today. I made declarations. I was just with him. Just being with him. And then when I get up to my day, I have this peace that I carry through my day because I've been in his presence because he is peace, right? He is peace. And so the reason why some of you are such a hurry, you you, got to get home to do what? To do what? Be still and know that he's God. What he wants is to tabernacle with you, to fellowship with you, to give you his peace, to give you his rest. This is why coming to church is more than just hearing another message. And I love his word, but we're educated way beyond our level of obedience. When we come to his house, it ought to be about his presence. Because God can heal you in His presence. He can restore you in His presence. He can renew you in His presence. In His presence, there is fullness of joy. Does that make sense? Wasn't that so rich tonight? So rich. So rich. I could add nothing to that, but... And I'm not trying to add anything to it. I'm just trying to talk about the reality of where we live. It's run into a prayer closet so we can run out, so we can do the rest of our day. And the thing he wants is for you just to be with him. That's what he wants. And then you just pray out of your spirit. Prayer is being alignment. So, okay, so I did great today. Fantastic. Now today is pretty much in the tune. Don't you agree? It's pretty much in the tune. Four more hours, four more hours and 15 minutes, it's going to be in the tomb. Tomorrow's in the womb. So that's great. You did good today. Now give me now Thursday's bread. Now what do you want me to do today as it pleases you? Put me at the right place at the right time. Not God, you need to do this and this and this and this and this. No. What do you want so that I can be in alignment with your will for Thursday. Come on, come on. Not a laundry list. He already knows what you have need of before you even ask. That's right. yeah, amen. He wants you to come into his presence. Amen. And be with him. That makes sense? Amen. Okay. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you. Thank you for truth because truth sets us free. Truth makes us free. It it does more than set us free. It makes us free. And Father, I thank you for the man of God. I thank you for the word of God. And I thank you for the journey that you have this church on. Yes, you do. Just as you deal with us as individuals, you also have plans for churches. And this body we're on a journey that you want us on and we're going to do our best to fulfill your will and to fulfill the purposes of God in the earth help us to be Jesus juniors when we walk into our jobs in our schools in our homes wherever we go help us to be Jesus juniors and to be in alignment to your will so that when you speak we will obey and then see you receive the glory for our life in Jesus' mighty name. Do you receive God's word tonight? You receive His word? Amen. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May His face shine upon you and give you peace. May you have a good night's rest and may you walk in His purposes tomorrow in Jesus' name. Come back Sunday. We're going to have a great move of the Spirit Sunday.